Hey, everybody. This is Jeff Stanek again with Figured Out Baseball. Uh, we've got a little bit of a different Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. Uh, you know, typically we're joined by uh, coaches, and uh, but today we're joined by someone who has coached for a long, long time, but uh, recently decided to do something a little bit different. We have Ryan Brownlee on the podcast today. Uh, Ryan is currently an, the Assistant Executive Director for Coaching Outreach with the ABCA. That's the American Baseball Coaches Association. Um, he took that job just within the last couple of months, and I think it would be an interesting uh, conversation to have to just to talk about his coaching career, talk about the transition that he made, and, and you know, learn a little more about the ABCA. I'm sure most coaches are familiar with that, uh, but probably not all, and there's a lot of other people that probably aren't as well, so I think there will be a lot of things uh, to dive into. But I'll give you a little bit of background on uh, Coach Brownlee. I'll still call him Coach Brownlee, whether or not he's coaching. Probably a lot of other people will as well, uh, but give you a background on him before before we jump into questions, uh, Coach Brownlee is an Evansville, Indiana native. He played at Evansville, which is a Division One school in, in Evansville, Indiana, obviously. He played there from 1994 to 1997, where he played for his father, the legendary coach, Jim Brownlee. Uh, following his senior year, Coach Brownlee, well, at that time he was just Ryan Brownlee, I guess, not coach yet, uh, he received the Most Outstanding Male Athlete Award at Evansville, and uh, that year he got his bachelor's degree in psychology, which I'm sure is um, a big reason for a lot of the things that Ryan does. Uh, I, I really, I'm really interested in his psychology background as well, so maybe some questions there. Um, after his playing career at Evansville, he played professionally for the Evansville Otters for, in the summer of 1997 there in the Frontier League. Uh, after that, he became an assistant coach at Evansville. He was an assistant there in the springs of 1998 and 99. From there, he moved on to James Madison University, a Division I school, in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where he was an assistant coach from 2000 to 2003. And just a quick highlight there, the 2002 team set the school record with 43 wins and went to an NCAA regional that year. Uh, while at James Madison, uh, Coach Brownlee also got his master's degree in athletic administration. Uh, he, he then became an assistant coach at the University of Iowa in the Big Ten. He was there from 2004 to 2012 as the recruiting coordinator. At his time at, at uh, Iowa, a lot of good things happened. Several recruiting classes ranked in the top 50 nationally. Uh, the team set many individual team and singles. I'm sorry, many individual and team single season and career records um, under his tutelage. From there, he moved on to be the the head coach at Western Illinois University, a Division One school in Macomb, Illinois. He was the head coach there from the spring of 2013 until uh, the spring of 2019. And, again, just left there within the last couple of months. Uh, just a quick note there, his first win at Western Illinois, kind of a cool thing, was against number one ranked Arkansas. It was the first time that Western Illinois ever beat a number one. Uh, at his time at Western Illinois, there were a lot of firsts for the, for the program and first time since. Uh, he did a great job, arguably, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the best head coaches at Western Illinois uh, has had, although he wasn't there for, for as long as some of the other head coaches that, uh, that were at Western. Uh, but, but a really great career overall. He spent 22 years as a Division I coach before taking the job with the ABCA. Uh, throughout his career, he, he developed 52 players that were undrafted out of high school that went on to play in the professional ranks. That just is you know, one of many, many things that Coach Brownlee has done. And, again, he's now the assistant executive director for coaching outreach with the ABCA. Uh, Ryan Brownlee, really appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate you 
coming on. It was uh, fun filming with you this summer, so it's good to reconnect. Yes, if you haven't checked him out, if you, if you didn't know that he's got some, uh, Coach Brownlee's got quite a few videos on the Figure It Out Baseball website. Um, and with the website, our, one of our stipulations is that you have to be a college coach to be able to, uh, a college coach or a pro coach to be able to provide any video content, uh, but we're going to leave Coach Brownlee's stuff on there. I mean, he was a uh, Division One coach for 22 years. I think you think your credentials are there to leave your stuff on there. Grandpa- you know? I, I, I got grandfathered in. <laughs> That's right, grandfathered <laughs> in for sure. Um, if anybody, if anybody's in that position, it's you. Um, so, I, you know, I like to start with things that are on the resume. Uh, I think it's it's usually a pretty good place to start for me. Um, but I, but today, I actually want to talk about something first. I, I thought was kind of an interesting tidbit that you gave me right before we started recording. Um, we were talking about your playing career a little bit and just about being at Evansville, being from Evansville, your dad coaching there. You said that you originally committed somewhere else and were probably one of the original decommits. I thought that was something interesting to go back into. Where did you originally commit? Yeah, I, um, and I probably didn't do it right. You know, when I would sit down with parents and, and players, I would explain, like, when I, my freshman year of high school, I just opened up the college catalog and just, started listing schools that I thought that I would like to go to. And the, the list was, was dumb. It was like 200 schools. <laughs> and so that, that got whittled down in my sophomore year to about 50 and kept whittling through it and figuring out size. And this wasn't a baseball decision. I, I didn't know if I was going to be good enough to play college baseball. I had seen a lot of college baseball games growing up, but I, I still, I was just okay early in high school. Even through junior year of high school, I was still just okay. But I did start to take some visits then my, my senior year. and It really was just all academics. So I, I visited Vandy. I visited Bradley. I visited Denison College, which is Division three, really good Division three school outside of Columbus, Ohio. I uh, visited Evansville and then Portland and flew to Portland and really didn't meet with their coaches. They, again, these were all academic decisions. Well, I loved Portland. I loved it out there and, and flew back. And I called their coach and said I was coming. Well, we got into the middle. This was before our, our season had even started my senior year. We got into the middle of the, the season, and I started to figure out that Portland was 35 hours away from home. Um, my parents probably weren't going to afford to be able to bring me back home. So it was like one of these things where, like, I just didn't know if I was going to be mature enough to handle the decision to go that far away, never get back home, pretty much knew I was probably going to get homesick, so probably saved everybody a bunch of headaches. And, and on their end, because they weren't investing any scholarship money in me, every, every scholarship I had was academic aid, so probably didn't really hurt them at all. Um, but it, at the end of it, I, I ended up making the right decision to, to go to Evansville. Um, I had had a family friend, a neighborhood friend that was a psychologist, in Evansville that actually went to Portland. So that was the, the only reason that I even looked at Portland because, it, one, it was a smaller school. It was a private school, and I had a family friend that had gone there. So that's why I went out there to look at it. Now, Portland's great, and, you know, never say never, but I ended up making the right decision to, to, to go to Evansville and play for my dad and brother. Um, you know, challenging in, in college to play for family members, but um, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now if I didn't make that decision. One of the difficult things about, you know, if you play for your dad or, uh, you know, or for your brother or anything, uh, sometimes, you know, people probably tend to judge, hey, this guy's only in the lineup because, you know, his dad is the coach. But you actually, you, you ended up having a, a really good career at Evansville. And you said, you know, even in high school, you weren't sure if you were good enough to play in college. What was it for you that kind of uh, 
you know, helped you to become that really successful Division One player? Is there anything, anything in particular you can point to? <laughs> my, if you'd have seen me my freshman fall at Evansville, you would have thought that that was the wrong decision. Uh, I, I, you know, all freshmen I think go through that at, at any level of college. I looked like I forgot how to play baseball, and there's some really good stories. You know, I had a good experience with my dad and brother. It was really challenging, and, and that freshman fall, we would play USI. Back then, you could play as many games as you wanted in the, in the fall, um, and you can only play two now. But we would play USI, the Division II school in Evansville, seven times. So it was like you are playing a World Series. Well, we had a, a blue cargo van that we would take the equipment out drive all the way to USI, which is about a 20-minute um, drive from, from Evansville's campus to, to USI. I played awful. Um, I probably had three or four airs, struck out a bunch, and my dad and I are driving back in the cargo van, and I, it didn't have back seats, so I'm sitting on a bucket in the back of this blue cargo <laughs> van, and he's driving, and he, he was good at this, and, and my dad had never coached me growing up, um, so this was like our first experience. I'd been around him, but this was our first player coach experience. And he looks back at me and he goes, Hey, do you have that number for Denison college? And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you don't start playing better, you're going to be there at the break. And you know, he says that my dad had this way of saying stuff that was half joking, but would, would light a fire on you a little bit. And I needed to hear that, you know, and my dad and brother always did a good job of, of lighting me up because they knew I could handle it, I think. Um, but it did drive me because it was one of these, like, well, I'm going to show you. Well, you know, Kyle Ritter was my college roommate. Back then you would do player evaluations, um, you know, and, and, and I got to look at Kyle's evaluation. And of our 16, 16 players on our team, that position players on our team that fall, he ranked me 16th, which that's the way I played. <laughs> so I really thought I was going to get redshirted. You know, coming out of the fall when I would have those meetings, you know, you have your end of fall meetings. You know, when I had my end of fall meeting um, with, with my dad, and I called him Coach Brownlee. You know, people would laugh, like, I'm playing for the guy. I never called him dad. He was always Coach Brownlee. So I had my meeting with Coach Brownlee, and I really did think I was going to get redshirted. Well, the freshman spring starts, and, and I did a lot of work over winter break. You know, I, I lifted. You know, while guys were probably out partying, I was lifting. I was trying to get better. And, um, you know, that's, that's a benefit of having a dad that's a college coach is because you have a facility. You have a lifting facility. I could long toss. I could hit. Um, and I didn't play the first seven games my freshman year because I, I didn't deserve to play those first seven games. Well, we started 0-7. And we're in spring break, and I got an opportunity to play. And I went three for four uh, against Purdue at Stetson tournaments. And then I just hit. And, and I hit and I hit and I hit. Uh, ended up playing left field. We had a senior second baseman, Brian Siebert. Uh, so played left field and then played a little bit of second base. Uh, but honestly, got an opportunity. And, and if I would have went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, I would have went back to the bench. Uh, because, you know, you ask that question, I think when it's your family member, you know, and I think anybody that's coached their kid at the college level will tell you they either need to be your best player or your worst player. There can be no in-between with that. <laughs> they either have to be a, a, an everyday guy or they're never going to see the field. I, you can't have those in-betweeners because then there's too many questions. Um, and, and, and that was the only reason I got to keep playing is because I hit. And I think I ended up leading our team in hitting that spring. Uh, but that was the only reason I got to keep playing. 
Again, if I would have stunk it up to, to start, uh, I would have been back on the bench. That is such a cool story. So I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> from that fall, these are the two that I would tell the freshmen. Um, you know, every freshman goes through that. I had another um, – we were just in an inter-squad game that fall. And that's how you know it's way too fast for you. Uh, I, I wasn't hustling. So my dad pulls me behind the, the dugout and yells at me for not hustling. Well, the next inning we had a, a catcher, Jason Emersek, who signed with the Yankees. I'm in left field, hadn't really played a lot of left field. So he hits a ball, and it's, it's a no-doubter, but because I was told to hustle, I'm in a dead sprint tracking this ball to left field. And dead sprint, dead sprint, dead sprint, look up, run into the fence, full speed. As I'm falling backwards, the ball lands 100 feet over the fence. It should have been one of those where he hits it, you look at it, and you watch it land. Well, because I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, I ended up having to go to the hospital because I split my chin open. And <laughs> as our trainer is dragging me off the field, my dad looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I go, well, you told me to hustle. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when, you know, when I would coach freshmen, you know, I, I loved coaching at the four-year level. Um, you know, it, when you would have those freshmen, as you always do at the four-year level, everything's way too fast for them. I would tell those stories to try to get them to calm down because we all went through it. And you know, every every freshman, I don't care what level of college you're playing in, every freshman's going to go through that that where the game's way too fast for them to start. I saw that, and I'll be honest with you, it was it was like that was one of the most shocking things to me as a coach is that you when I started recruiting, you recruit a guy and you get him on campus. And, and your head coach would look at you like, you know, the, the, the game would be too fast for that freshman, and he'd look like, like you said, he forgot how to play the game, and your head coach yeah. is looking at you like, what kind of players did you bring in? And you're looking at yourself like, what the hell happened to this kid? I, he was really yeah. good when I saw him, but it, you're and, right. And they you... still are. They still are. And I had so many examples. And, and honestly, Jeff, that's why even when I was a head coach, I still went out and recruited because I, I wanted to see guys because I knew they were going to struggle when they showed up. And even the, even the junior college guys struggle a little bit. Um, you know, I, that's part of the reason why I did want to go out. Besides developing a relationship with players and parents, I wanted to go out so I could actually know what they looked like when they were going to be good, what they looked like when they were going to struggle, because you know they're going to eventually come out with out of it if you handle them right. And I, you know, Justin Tool is a really good example. He's he's in the front office with the Indians now. His freshman year, I think he had two hits and like 25 at bats. And then he was all region um, his next three years and ended up signing with the Indians. But you have examples of that over the years of guys that, that maybe either – I say of the first two years that you have, I don't care if it's a JC guy or a, four, or a high school kid, of those first two years that you have them, one's probably going to be just okay and one's going to be really good. Now, that might be where they struggle as a freshman and then figure it out, or they have a really good freshman year and then teams make an adjustment on them because that second year, I think that's the hardest thing. If a kid has a really good freshman year on the mound or at the plate, that next year everybody has a scouting report on them, and they're going to have a longer history on them, and they're going to make an adjustment on that kid. And then the ones that, that have another good year are the ones that can make an adjustment. But more times than not, because they had a really good freshman year, they're not going to feel like they need to make any adjustments. And, and that's the great thing about the game of baseball is that it will show you. And, and if a kid has a great freshman year, why would you want them to make any adjustments? 
they've just figured things out. You're not going to throw any. If you're if you're a good coach, you're not going to throw anything back on them because they're having success. Why would you tinker with something if a guy's having success? Because one, they're not going to listen to you anyway. But it, it does take them a little bit. So I, I really always felt like of those first two years, high school or JC, one was going to be good, and one was probably going to be a struggle for a guy. Yeah, I could I could tell you a hundred situations for that, but I, I'll tell you just one thing that popped into my mind when you were saying that. Uh, Scott Strickland, who's the head coach at Georgia, when yep. he was at Kent State, um, Kent would come down to Winthrop when I was at Winthrop, and, and they'd play every year in one of our spring tournaments. And there'd be guys, you know, every year that, that came where the, the assistants at Winthrop were like, especially my first year, like, who is this guy? Like, I mean, he's a junior. I don't even remember him being on the team last year. And all of a sudden, you know, he's like they're one of their exactly. best players. And they would yep. just, like Scott or Coach Strickland would say, you know, we just we, we really just stick it out with guys. Like we a guy struggles as a freshman, and we just, we don't give up on him, and, and we keep it going. And like we really count on these guys, excuse me, to produce as juniors and seniors. And like that, yep. that was the biggest reason for their their sustained success there. And I thought that was really amazing to hear as a really young coach, just uh, to hear that formula it was really cool. Well, and and, and every situation is different, and, and you know, I'd like to hear what Scott would have to say now because obviously being at Kent State and being at Georgia might be two different places, and I think every program is completely different with, one, how much they need guys to produce right away, and, you know, do you have more of a timeline with guys? And, and that is a benefit at some of the smaller schools is, you can take a guy that you're going to be willing to work with for a couple of years because of that that added pressure, and, and not that you don't have pressure at the college level. Everybody's got pressure, but it's not that, hey, if you have a stinker of a year, you may not have a job. Um, you know, you've got a little bit of freedom there at some places that you can develop guys that, that some other schools that, that, that are competing, you know, not that everybody's not competing, but there are those top-end schools where, you got to try to do it every year, and that's that's a little tougher situation. And, you know, every school's got their positives, and every school's got their negatives. You know, you talk to any coach out there; they're gonna they're gonna tell you things that are great about their place, but they're gonna tell you things that that could get better. But I think every every level of college baseball has that. And when you were at Iowa, I, and you might have a different opinion, but it seems like since the Big Ten network came about, Big Ten schools have all kind of taken a little bit of a jump, you know, better facilities, better uh, better. Well, the influx of money, yes. yes, the influx of money with the Big Ten network has allowed that to happen, and the expansion of the Big Ten uh, tournament. I think that's helped a lot of programs, is from when they went to six teams to, to eight teams. You know, Jack, when Jack and I were at Iowa, it was a six-team tournament uh, for the nine years that I was there, and then the year after Jack was gone, it went to an eight-team tournament, so that's you know, however you want to slice it, um, if you're making your postseason tournament, it does buy you some more time. Um, you know, and, and I think the SEC's figured that out, the ACC's figured that out. Most conferences are going to more teams getting into the tournament. Yeah, to be and, honest with you. not less teams. And that, help, that helps. If you're in a league that, that is banking on RPI to get more teams into the tournament, that's going to help you. And if you look at the Big Ten, the Big Ten has gotten more teams into the postseason since they've expanded to eight teams. Yeah. Even the Ohio Valley did that. When we first got to Moorhead State, um, Mike McGuire, who was our head coach, was a really big advocate. He was pushing pretty hard when he first got there. we got to make this an eight-team tournament instead of a six-team tournament, and, and they eventually well, it saves, did. It saves jobs. Yeah. You know, and, and, and whether anybody wants to admit that or not, it does. It, it saves head coaches' jobs because you're getting more teams into the tournament, and it allows for better experience for guys. And 
you know, I'd like to talk to some of the Valley coaches. They, everybody in the Valley gets in. I think it alleviates a little bit of stress during the spring of, of not making the tournament. Um, or, or if a team is so far out <clears throat> at the end of the year that guys pack it in. And obviously you don't want to think that guys would do that, but I think it keeps it keeps everybody motivated throughout the season because you know even if you started the year rough, you know you have the postseason to still play for and you're not out of it. No question. And with with a lot of schools that are uh, that are trying to get an at-large bid, yes. part of Mike McGuire's uh, argument there, and he's now the head coach at USC Upstate, part of his argument was that having an eight-team tournament will, take, like you said, take the pressure off of actually making the conference tournament and allow you to play better midweek games and allow you to maybe throw a guy – on a midweek game that you really need to win uh, and be okay with him being pushed back or maybe not even pitching on the weekend because you're trying to you know win that midweek game against a top 25 type of team. Yeah, you can you can get more marquee wins that way. No question. But with the, in your time in Iowa, did you see did you see a, a really you know a really big difference between when you were at James Madison and Western Illinois just because of kind of like you were talking about at Georgia, you don't quite have the same maybe flexibility as as you would at a Kent State. Did you see that at Iowa, or was it not to the point in the Big Ten yet where there was that much of a disparity uh, as far as just kids having other having second chances and, and the pressure to win and, and things of that nature? I just um, – and with that being said, I was, I was lucky at the places that I coached at. You know, Evansville, we, we were rolling. When I left Evansville, we were rolling. And then James Madison, the same thing. Uh, the, the Colonial, the CAA, when I first got there was – the number one ranked conference in the country, RPI-wise, because East Carolina and Richmond were still in the Colonial. So those, those first four years, those four years that I was at JMU, our, our league RPI was like one, two, or three. Um, so it was really good baseball. And then when I got to, to Iowa, you know, it was good baseball. All college baseball is good baseball. I don't care what conference, what level. I don't care, junior college on up. It's good baseball. Um you know, so but it did. You could see it was starting to turn when Nebraska got into the league. Um, you could see that it was going to start to turn a little bit that way. But again, it had more to do with the Big Ten network. You know, and and, and that's where you saw the the really the change because when the Big Ten conference tournament was on TV on national television, when you started to get weekend series on national television, that's where you knew things were going to start turning because. It just helps. The more you can get your brand out there as a conference and the more people see you, you know, that's the great thing about Division One baseball now with the regionals is every game is on television. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to, to think about, you know, when we got to Evansville in 1979 when I was five years old where college baseball was at then and where it is now, it's in, a, it's in such a wonderful place. And there's still improvements. But that's the exciting thing about college baseball especially the Division One level, is it still has more room for improvement and growth, you know, with getting the second assistant. You know, it, does that happen? Does more scholarships happen? Now, those, those things have been going on for the last 40 years. I mean, there, there were college coaches talking about this stuff, you know, 40 years ago. So, you know, will it change? You hope it does, and, and I hope it does just for the sport because the sport's in a great place, but it can still continue to get to a great place. Let's flip the switch a little bit and go to talk about the ABCA a little bit. And uh, I'm just really curious, and honestly, you and I, um, 
we haven't talked a whole lot since you took the job with the ABCA. Yeah. I, I haven't even asked you this question even on a personal note yet, so I'll be anxious to hear the answer. When you heard about this job, you applied for it, uh, you know, what made you want this job? What made you want to decide, you know, to, to leave college baseball for 22 years as a, as a coach uh, at all at the Division One level? What made you decide to want to leave and try something different? Yeah, one, it was still in baseball. Uh, you know, I, I just never thought I would leave baseball. So that was the, the, the thing for me with the job is it was still in baseball. Um, I had done stuff with the ABCA. I spoke at the national convention in 2012. I had gone to the convention, you know, in high school with my dad. So I had been around the ABCA. I knew a lot of the executive board members. Um, you know, so it was just guys that you kind of grow up with and grow up around. And my dad has been a, you know, a 45 plus year member. And, you know, my, any of my experiences, whether it was at the convention or with someone that worked for the ABCA or an executive member, board member, was always positive. And, you know, when I, when I applied, that was kind of it for me. I knew that if I got offered the job, I was going to take it. And then when I came out here and interviewed and, and saw everything and really got a chance to spend time with everybody in the office, it's a, it's a wonderful place to work. And it's, you're surrounded by great people, are motivated, and you still have a chance to serve. You know, and, and, you know, after I took the job and, and I'm writing notes and, and looking at it and you think about it, you, you really do have a chance to, to positively affect the game of baseball at all levels of amateur baseball, and that's college on down. And, um, you know, that's been a great thing for me when I've taken the job. You know, I was back at Western, you know, for five weeks working remote before I came out to North Carolina. So I was around the guys. And, yeah, you're always going to miss those guys. But, but when you're running your own program, I think you have blinders on to anything else that's going on around you. Uh, where where this job with the ABCA it allows you to expand and and take the blinders off and hopefully you you have an opportunity to positively affect baseball um, in, on a lot of different levels and that's helping coaches you know with our our ABCA app now the the my ABCA app you know we have a bunch of resources on there from videos and hard copy stuff we have a forum on there um, you know the podcast is another way to reach out to people um, and and make a positive impact and. Now, I've always tried to help guys along the way and, and mentor people, and, and this is just another extension of that mentoring where you do feel like you're able to help a variety of coaches at any level, um, and that's even the Little League coach that may be coaching for the first time. You're able to, to help, and then, you know, in, in a great way, then that helps players too. So, you know, you're not worried just about your own program anymore. You're you're more concerned with what's going on with baseball as a whole, and, and that's been the great part of this job. It's very cool. What was the inner dialogue like for you? I mean, was was it difficult to talk yourself into getting off the field? I think for a lot of coaches, like that's a thing that they've just they've always been there, and, and you're still involved in baseball, but you're not on the field. Has, has that been a difficult transition at all, or or, or even you know, just know, thinking about? No, that? it really hasn't. Um, I I think because you just dive in. I guess I said this the other day. Even in high school, when I was washing dishes, like I really liked that job. Um, when I had a paper route, I really liked that job too. I, I just, I, I guess that's maybe just my mentality and my mindset is that whatever job that you're doing, you need to dive in and be present and, and make it the best job that you can possibly make it. Um, and that's why I do say leave it better for those behind you all the time. But 
like that's that's how I've lived my entire life and, and luckily I had great parents uh, my mom and dad are, are great people um, and were hardworking people that instilled the value of, of hard work but really actually enjoying work um, I, I you know, my first job at JMU first paid job nine thousand dollars I took it because it was a job there's just not very many division one jobs so if you get a job you need to take it so I took it well, I get there, and I didn't even figure out, like, how, what is $9,000, like, the breakdown on per month. Well, I get my first paycheck, and I'm staying at Coach McFarland's house. Well, Tom Foley was an assistant uh, soccer coach, and he needed a roommate. He, he lived in Massanutten, which is a ski resort outside of Harrisonburg. So without even asking, like, I, I'm brutal with that. Like, I don't even ask. Like, I just jump in and then figure figure it's going to get worked out. Well, I say, yeah, I'll come live with you, and then I figure out how much rent is, and I'm doing the math on, like, what my paycheck is, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to eat. <laughs> so so I, I found a temp, a temp job at the Harrisonburg newspaper. So at 11 o'clock at night, I would go mop floors at the Harrisonburg newspaper because that was the only way I was going to be able to eat on my salary. That, just, that is one of the things that if people are listening to this may have never – coached in college baseball like I don't know if people realize that hey, they look at your I, resume like hey you were at Iowa you were at these places and they don't realize what the play is like. Was the, the first year I had actually had benefits was 28 um, <laughs> you know health insurance any of that you know I gave plasma to, to try to stay in it um, heck even my first year at Western I slept in my on a pullout couch in my office because we weren't going to be able to afford two places my, my family stayed in Iowa City the first year because it was easier on the transition. We're doing the same thing now. My family's still in Illinois this first year to help make things easier with their transition to get through the year. And I'm actually living with Andrew Bartman, uh, who works who works for the ABCA but works with USA Baseball now. And baseball people are are tremendous people. Um, now I'm just lucky that Andrew's still here. And he's a baseball guy who him and his family have gotten help along the way from other people. Like, I don't know if that ever changes for baseball guys. Is I think you always have a little bit of that in you. Um, you know, I think all of us to, to get to where we got to had a tremendous about a, amount of help, um, a, a tremendous amount of luck. You know, I'm very fortunate to be in the, the job with the ABCA. It's a wonderful job. And I just feel very grateful every day that I get a chance to still be in baseball, help people. Um, but, you know, as you get to be 45 years old, you realize how lucky you are to get to the spot you're in because it just doesn't happen that way for, for everybody. Um, you know, it's, it, coaching is hard, and, and coaching college baseball is difficult, and, and trying to, to work your way up is extremely hard. I think all of us had those crossroads moments where you're like, I don't know if I can continue to keep doing this financially. Um, one, you know, if you're single and you don't have family, that's way different than once you get married and you have kids because now it's no longer about you. It's about your family. And I think we all I, I had a couple of those crossroad moments where it's like, I don't know if I can keep doing this because it's not fair to my family financially. And then I was lucky enough that a job came open that I, I was prepared for and, and was lucky enough to get. Was that this job or was that a different job you're talking no, about? No, 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 no. This one, I was, I was, we were fine. You know, my wife and I have done a really good job of living below our means. Um, you know, if you're going to stay in coaching and, and make it work, you're going to have to make sacrifices. 
financially. So my wife is uh, Amy is is tremendous. Um, you know, very disciplined and keeps me on track with things. But no, that that this wasn't a crossroads moment for me. This this was about me taking this job because I was excited about this job. Um, so it really wasn't about getting out of coaching. It was actually being excited about the ABCA job. Now, which do you mind? Uh, which um, when was that crossroads moment where you kind of just <laughs> yeah, thought like I need to okay, do something yeah, else yeah. or I'm out? Well, at James Madison, because of Title IX, I made nine thousand dollars for four years. Um, now I did other things to to make that nine go up. Um, I worked. Uh, I coached summer baseball. I coached a summer in New York, two in in Cape Cod, and two in Illinois. And then I would do laundry for the athletic department. And then I would do. I would. Our guys would have to help with football parking in the fall at our home games at JMU. But I would get the money for that. So I would. I would organize our guys for football parking, and then get paid. I got paid fifteen hundred. So like. Through all the jobs that I was doing, I got up to, to 20 to 25 every year, which made it doable. But then my third year, uh, Amy and I got married. Uh, my third year at JMU, so this is my fifth year overall. Um, Amy and I got married, and then Jackson was born. And so going into that fourth year at JMU, when Jackson was born, it was like, okay, I, you know, I don't know if I, I can keep justifying doing this. And then the Iowa job, you know, opened up. And and then before that, when I was at Evansville volunteering those two years, I bartended. That's the only way I was able to keep coaching is I had a bartending job that my boss was really good about letting me travel with the team. And, and now when I was home and, and we were home in the spring, I worked. Like I would – we'd have a game and I'd go close the bars down. Um, and bar our bar was open until 3 o'clock in the morning. So I would get to bed about 4.30 or 5.00. We didn't have lights. We were playing at Carson Field at Evansville at the time. We didn't play at Bossy Field that year. So we'd go home, get about three hours of sleep, then go to the ballpark. Uh, we'd have a doubleheader on Saturdays for, for Missouri Valley weekends. Uh, go back to the bar, work at the bar. Uh, again, clean it up, get, get to bed about 4 or 5, uh, turn around for a noon game on Sunday. Uh, do that again, and then go work at the bar again on Sunday. Uh, so basically, it just... That's why I can live on not much sleep. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I don't think it's healthy, and, and I do try to stress to people to get enough sleep. But it, those things train you for being able to make sacrifices. Uh, you know, I don't think everybody has to go through that now, um, which, again, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. But I'm in the chair that I'm in because of those sacrifices that I made to get to that point. Like, I, I, don't, I don't mind making sacrifices. And, and you figure it out. It's a great thing. Um, but, yeah, so Evansville was the other one where it's like, okay, do I go back and get my teaching degree? My undergrad was in psych. I didn't have any education. I didn't take one education class in college. So I was going to maybe go back and get my teaching degree and, and be a high school teacher. Thank God that didn't happen. I have a lot of respect for high school coaches and teachers. I could not have done that for a living. Um, and then lucky that the, the job at James Madison opened up. So those were really my two crossroad moments, one at Evansville going to JMU and then JMU to Iowa. And God bless the coaches that, that had faith in me and, and took a chance on hiring me with Spanky McFarland and then Jack Dom at Iowa. It's such a cool story, and I think that um, uh, I would say that most college coaches that coach for a long time have similar stories. I know I do when you were talking about that stuff. It, it's made me reminisce to my uh, – just a couple things that that I, you know, had experienced as a as a young coach as well. And it's just 
but like I wouldn't have changed anything. No, then I'm no. sure you wouldn't have either. All the extra no. jobs and all the extra hours and the in the living in a crap apartment, you know, yeah. and and things like that. Uh, I don't think people, most people would would change it for anything. And uh, yeah, well, that all that stuff got me ready for for being a head coach at, at Western Illinois because it's all hands on deck there, and you know it's a very rewarding place, but you do have to do everything, and and so all of those things that I had to do. You know, even bar. T- I mean, we ran a concession stand at Western. Um, you know, so even like a little thing like bartending actually allows you to be able to run a concession stand. So like, you don't think about it at the time. And so I would tell anybody like, along the way, if you have an opportunity to to take a job or do something, do it because you never know. I mean, I I har I harvested it at Western. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> I harvested at Western for a little bit too, just to, to to take extra job or make ends meet. Like that was part of it as well. I just it's such a cool story to me. And uh, this is Ryan Brownlee for anybody that maybe jumped in the middle of this. Uh, Ryan Brownlee is currently the assistant executive director for coaching outreach with the ABCA. He's a 22 year uh, Division One coach. He uh, was a Division One player as well. Just got such a unique perspective on things because of all the things you've been through you grew up as a coach's son which is always a cool thing um obviously if you listen to this he's a ryan i think you're really well-rounded guy well-spoken i I really like my like having conversations with you personally i think this podcast was great um i really think that we should do this again at some point i'd love to get into more about what you're doing with the abca let you kind of talk about that a little bit and obviously tell some more stories about your coaching background which are always entertaining (laughs) Um, but I I really, really enjoy uh, this conversation. I'm really glad you were here today for this podcast and and just appreciate your time a lot. Yeah, you got it, Jeff, anytime. So, you know, anytime you need it, we can reconnect because there's there's a million stories along the way of – of not just me, but people that I've been around too. I think that's the best thing about baseball is the stories that that come out of it. And we just scratched the surface of that today. So uh, you can look for Ryan Brownlee. be back here on another podcast with Figure It Out Baseball at some point. Uh, In the future, you can also check out Coach Brownlee's videos. It's figureitoutbaseball.com, spelled just like it sounds. And, uh, again, Ryan, just appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, good luck with everything. You have the the convention coming up uh, in in just about a month, right? So uh, that's going to be a lot on your plate as well. January 2nd through 5th. All right. Well, good luck with that. And uh, thanks again for everything. I appreciate it very much, and uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, thanks, Jeff.